Hello, and thank you for joining us today for Frost and Sullivan's latest webcast from our Visionary Innovation Group. Today's event is titled Smart City Advancements in the Americas, Profiles of Top Performers. My name is Anna Guerrero, and I oversee Frost and Sullivan's Gill webcast program. Before we begin our event, I'd like to go over a few quick notes. The presentation will be available immediately on demand. You can also share this webcast at any time by clicking on the Share This Webcast within the player. On today's presentation, we will have some detailed slides, so there's a full screen feature available to you at the bottom right-hand corner of the screen. Before I hand the presentation over to today's presenters, I'd like to take a quick second to point out Today's presentation is part of a series of conversations on the topic of smart cities from the Visionary Innovation Group. Today's pre presentation is the last of four conversations within this series. We've previously covered an overview of the top performers from our Smart City Scorecard study, as well as deeper looks into smart cities of APAC and Europe. You can access each recording on demand through Bright Talk. Starting off our conversation today, we will begin by defining smart cities. Then we will briefly discuss Visionary Innovation Smart City Scorecard Study. This is a study from which many of the slides you see today are adapted. We wanted to give you a bit of a background on these slides as the inspiration for this presentation. Then finally, we'll get into our discussion of smart cities in the Americas. At this time, I'd like to introduce today's presenter, Jillian Walker. Jillian is a senior consultant with the Visionary Innovation Group at Frost & Sullivan. And with that, I'll hand it over to today's presenter, Jillian Walker. Thank you, Anna, for that introduction. Um, as Anna noted, today's topic concerns smart cities in the Americas. And today we are very happy to have with us Richard Steer to add his knowledge and expertise in smart cities to the conversation. Richard is a partner here at Frost & Sullivan, and he is Senior Vice President of the Visionary Innovation Group. Richard has worked very closely with numerous cities throughout the world, helping them develop their smart city goals and strategies. So we definitely want to thank Richard for adding his expertise to our conversation today. So with that, I do want to take a second and give our audience just a quick overview of the Visionary Innovation um, team here at Frost & Sullivan. The Visionary Innovation team is dedicated to tracking the megatrends that are impacting businesses and industries and that are really um, changing how people live their lives and how society and governments operate. The core of our work is in helping our, our clients understand how these megatrends will impact them 5, 10, 15 years out so that they can strategize now and begin innovating toward that future today. As you can see, the range of topics we cover is quite broad, uh, but today we will be concentrating on a trend called Smart is the New Green, which is really pointing to the fact that our world is becoming increasingly smart. More and more objects are being connected to the Internet. Sensor networks are being embedded in various environments. Um, this is allowing us to gather more and more data, allowing objects to respond to the environments that they are in. And as a promise of smart, 
the promise of SMART is that by making things SMART, by making our environment SMART, it will help us do things like drive new efficiencies, prevent problems before they become emergencies, help conserve resources, um, all of those things that uh, are the objectives and goals of SMART cities. Specifically today, we're going to drill down into smart cities, uh, which is taking that smart concept and applying it to the urban environment at large. Uh, and in fact, Visionary Innovation has an entire research subscription dedicated to smart cities. Um, you can see a partial list of some of the studies that we've published over the last few years, everything from um, funding models to region-specific studies um, like Smart Cities of Africa, Top Smart Cities of Asia. And just to give you a sense of why we have embarked on a series of conversations around smart cities, we recently have published a few key studies on this topic. So first we've published our Smart City Perspective by Key Region Study, which gives quite a bit of perspective about smart cities in North America, Europe, and Asia specifically. And then also, we've recently published our Smart City Scorecard Study, um, and this is a study featured in the middle of your screen. This study looks at 50 global cities, and it filters them through quantitative and qualitative metrics, and then provides some deep dive profiles uh, for each the top of uh, 15 cities, smart cities. And you can see what specific pages from this study look like at the bottom of your screen here. Today we'll be highlighting some of the details and exhibits featured in the Smart City Scorecard. Specifically, today we'll be discussing um, multiple cities in the Americas that landed in the top 15, and a number of other smart cities in the region that are also featured in the Smart City Scorecard. So with that, let's um, jump right to it, smart cities in the Americas. So we'll start with how visionary innovation defines smart cities. For us, uh, smart cities really are those cities that are integrating information and communication technology into multiple facets of urban life, and they are doing so to um, accomplish a few goals, to improve the uh, delivery of city services, to improve quality of life for citizens, and uh, long-term to ensure resource sustainability and a prosperous economic outlook. To better understand the various components of a smart city, we do compartmentalize smart city initiatives and technologies into eight core areas and an enabling area. And these include things like smart governance and education, smart healthcare, smart buildings, smart mobility, smart infrastructure, smart technology, smart energy, smart citizens, smart security. Um, and we really consider cities as pursuing smart city ambitions when they have active pursuits in at least five of the areas you see on your screen. And the types of initiatives that smart cities are pursuing range um, from highly complex and large-scale solutions such as smart grids, intelligent traffic systems, to um, digital-first uh, solutions such as citizen engagement platforms. On the slide that you see uh, now, you can see some example technologies within the smart city space. So really, the smart city space encompasses a wide array, it's a wide ecosystem of solutions and initiatives, again, all in the name of improving uh, resource efficiency, um, better delivery of services, higher quality of life, um, and building greater overall economic sustainability for the city. 
So quickly, I want to cover the methodology we used in the Visionary Innovation Smart City Scorecard. The way that we approached this benchmarking exercise was to begin in a city set of 50 cities and filter them through a couple of layers of in-depth research. So the first layer, our smart city indicators, is our quantitative layer, which uh, contained four indicator categories broken down to about 20 sub-indicators to cross-compare each city. From that filter, we arrived at our top 30 cities. So with these top 30 cities, we applied a second filter. The second filter was more qualitative in nature and based on a visionary innovation smart city maturity model. This qualitative filter um, is based on five maturity areas that are critical to smart city um, growth. Areas like governance and investment model, data maturity, um, Internet of Things. You can see all of our um, five areas on your screen. Um, <clears throat> and this filter, again, took us from the top 30 to the top 15 cities. And so after applying this filter, the bulk of the study really comprises city profiles within each of these maturity model areas um, with the goal ultimately to get a better understanding of the kinds of initiatives top smart cities are embarking on and that are, are uh, really successful for these cities. On your screen now, you can see the results of our scorecard filtering process. With the first three rows of the table highlighting the top 15 cities, the middle three rows uh, highlighting the top 30 cities, and the rest of the um, chart you see here highlighting all 50 cities that we included in the filtering process. And those cities with the blue background are the cities from the Americas that we considered in our scorecard. So you can see quite a few cities in the U.S. Um, made our top 15 list, so Chicago, New York, Los Angeles, San Francisco, um, and quite a few more made our top 30. And so with that, I'd like to bring Richard Sear um, into our conversation. Um, Richard, we looked at 50 cities across the globe in total. Do any of these cities on our list stand out from your perspective and why? Yeah, thanks, Julian, and uh, thanks for, for taking the time to do this. Um, so yeah, I, th I think really just more than um, just a city perspective, I'm kind of more struck by the prevalence of the Nordic cities uh, in the top 15 and, and in the top 30 as, as a whole. And I really think that that speaks to the way that Nordic countries focus um, proportionally more of their time on issues like the environment, citizen happiness, and they actually managed to get ahead of the smart city trend as a whole by working with um, their citizens and understanding citizen needs. But having said that, there are some very impressive cities other than them that are taking place uh, in, uh, obviously in, here in the US. Uh, you're seeing a lot in New York happen, a significant amount of news, news for New York and Chicago. Um, and I'm always very impressed by the work being done in complex cities like Seoul and Berlin, where you have extremely aged infrastructure that inhibit uh, the implementation process. So there's a lot of barriers there. So um, lots of projects, but they tend to be more costly, but they are also taking longer to execute, but it doesn't seem to stand in the way of places like Seoul and Chicago and, and New York from executing those projects. So looking at the Americas region specifically, um, are there any cities not listed here, but that you would include on a list of smart cities to watch? Why should we pay attention to those cities? Yeah. Uh, well, there are so many cities here in the U.S. Uh, in the Americas region that are that are working on smart city projects. 
Um, the difference is those that are actively working on citywide visions or, or those that are sort of experimenting um, with smart city projects. We, we just need to be clear that just because a city, you know, says that it is smart doesn't necessarily make it so um, from, a, from, a, from a wider perspective. It, it's a term that's been quite overused. Um, so to the question that you asked, uh, I am very impressed with the work being done in Portland, uh, in Oregon. Um, they have really worked hard to integrate a smart green initiative around the city, uh, building very strong uh, collaborations with local climate trust as well as the utilities that exist in Portland. And it's made an impact not just across buildings, but overall energy patterns. And now it's making its way into mobility and traffic solutions um, that, for example, lower, lower the overall uh, amount of emissions. So you, there you can see a perfect example of a city that, that, that has begun its efforts towards smart using one pillar, and that pillar is extending across many other pillars now um, within the city. Yeah, so um, earlier you talked about Nordic cities, and you, you brought up um, uh, cities like Seoul and Singapore. Um, so just specifically talking about North America, I'm curious, what, what would you say makes the smart city approach in North America different from um, cities, let's say, in regions like Europe or APAC? Yeah. Uh, well, I, th I think it's several fold. Uh, for one, the nature of U.S. urbanization is very different uh, to that of APAC. It, it is highly dispersed, uh, a little bit more like Europe in, in that regard. But in APAC, you have very large amounts of people aggregation around major urban areas. So it tends to be far more concentrated. Further, the amount of uh, PPP activity in North America is much clearer here than in other regions, and there's very good reasons for that. For example, you've seen major governmental sponsorship, you know, real money uh, of smart city program funding from the likes of India, China, even the UK, and many others. But in the US, we've had a very different approach. It's much more limited to very small federal government support financially, and local initiatives tend to have to be very much more entrepreneurial. So, you know, one of the areas that is quite frustrating in the U.S. is the relatively low amount of focus given to local budgeting of smart city initiatives. When a city does not have a clear vision, it makes it very hard to then actually budget and plan effectively what is, for many people, incremental uh, cost to, uh, to the city. So most visions tend to be um, they're more aesthetic um, than they are technically descriptive. And so as a result, you don't really set the things that you're trying to do in the right direction from the very beginning. Uh, so as a result, it tends to lead to a required PPP approach in the North America region and essentially much more of a project-driven different, different, uh, approach, approach, you know, versus in APAC and, and other places where you see much more holistic approaches taking place. Yeah, great. Okay, good. So let's move on to the next slide. Um, so we're going to move on to the slide here that highlights uh, U.S. smart city networks, and this is just a sampling of these. So um, these are cities that belong to either a knowledge sharing partnership, like with the National Institute of Standards and Technology, um, super clusters, or have a shared framework sometimes um, by virtue of employing the same technology. For instance, uh, the AT&T smart cities framework. Um, but I think the real point here is that the smart 
publicity movement um, in the U.S., although it had a late start, is really starting to grow. And this growth is happening quite quickly. Um, so you can see on this map that most major cities in the United States belong to at least one of the networks we have listed. Um, and this is not a complete listing, of, again, of all uh, potential networks that could be considered as having a smart city bent, um, but uh, it gives you a good idea of, of that growth that we're talking about. And so, Richard, uh, just a quick question for you. When we look at this map of the U.S., um, we see quite a bit of smart city activity that we might not have seen even five years ago. And so the real question here is, what has been driving smart cities in the U.S.? Um, and do you see that momentum continuing? Uh, yeah, very much so. so. I mean, the very thing that drives the U.S. economy itself is, is competitiveness. And, you know, this has largely in the U.S. been a self-created by the market itself. Uh, and you can see that reflected in the slide um, that you're showing. Uh, you know, ranging from the work that's done uh, at uh, the Council of Mayors level, um, to events that are run like Meeting of the Minds or Emerge Americas. You know, and it's created a major push by U.S. city mayors and policymakers to build out programs um, or, or risk being left behind. And that's the true nature of competitiveness. The technology itself has clearly played a major role, uh, Gillian, but self-reporting through social media and the constant always-on culture that, that, that we have has meant a much more immediate pressure has been applied from both citizens who, quite frankly, are a rising uh, knowledgeable group around this term smart cities uh, and companies themselves who are probably the, you know, the main driver. You mentioned AT&T smart cities framework and many of the others. So as a result, you know, you, you, you've seen many cities hire innovation teams, uh, digital officers, to try and get more of a handle on this subject. And that's why you're seeing all of these events taking place around the country. And it's having you know, varying uh, levels of success, but I do expect this success to, you know, to continue. Yeah, so that's, those are good points. Let's let's kind of pull back and talk about this on a holistic level. Um, you know, you mentioned um, some of the advantages, let's say, in uh, Europe and APAC having that holistic push. And, um, you know, certainly U.S. viewers here will be familiar with the tax reform plan that has just been passed. Uh, and now we're hearing a lot about how um, President Trump and Congress will turn their attention to infrastructure, um, one of the major campaign promises um, and one of the major um, initiatives that we've all kind of been waiting for here. So how do you think a potential infrastructure bill will um, impact smart cities in the U.S.? Yeah, well, so that's a very interesting question, especially, um, you know, a day before uh, his first State of the Union address. And we're already hearing rumors uh, today that uh, we will be seeing, you know, trillion-dollar potential bills. So I think it really all depends um, on how you view infrastructure and certainly how the Trump administration will view infrastructure. But, you know, let us be clear that the infrastructure challenges that we have in the United States are, are extremely deep and wide. Um, we are suffering from some of the poorest quality roads that we've ever seen. Our bridges are decaying. Um, and, you know, core transport infrastructure such as airports are also in, in a fairly poor shape. Um, our energy grid security infrastructure is, is also quite tenuous, and that's a key piece of, um, you know, the U.S. overall infrastructure. 
Um, so to try and make this a little bit more useful, I believe we will see direction uh, in terms of whether funds can be used on a sort of more of a gradiating process. Um, core needs are definitely going to come first. Uh, you know, the roads and the bridge repairs that I talked about earlier, and you know, whilst those sound quite simple, you know, they are going to take up a sizable portion of whatever the uh, federal distribution of funds is going to end up looking like. Um, and, and gradually then, I think we'll start to see, you know, the working through of what I would call sort of upgrades to those systems as we see it over time. So, if, I mean, if I was in a position, I would be focusing on ensuring that anything that is worked on is at a minimum forward thinking, forward fitted, if you like. So it would allow for the easier integration of a connected environment should this, this sort of this sort of visual switch be triggered at some point and we make solutions, whether it be roads or bridges or buildings or energy infrastructure, be fitted to the point where they can suddenly become um, integrated and, and fully interoperable and, and, and connected. Yeah, great. And that's that's a great point because it also brings up the whole role of telecommunications itself as an infrastructure need, um, which is definitely definitely um, something that we need to think about moving forward. But I want to get into some of the profiles that we do cover in the Smart City Scorecard. And so just jumping into those, um, a couple of U.S. cities were featured in our data section. And these are cities that are um, really showing excellence either in data management or using data to influence public policy. So, um, for instance, on the slide that you see on your screen, we have uh, New York City and New York City's Mayor's Office of Data Analytics, um, or MODA. Uh, and MODA is really a dedicated analytics team, um, and you're seeing this more and more um, cities investing in having that dedicated data team or dedicated analytics team. And for New York City, it's designed to, of course, aggregate data across government agencies to find data-driven solutions to city challenges. Um, and here we can see some of the projects that MODA has uh, worked on, so creating a heat map to better pinpoint housing violations, um, data around rent stabilization, um, data around risk-based fire inspection. So again, on one level, it's about breaking down those data silos, but it's also about deploying resources uh, to make sense of that data so that you can have more effective uh, and data-driven policies. Um, another city that is really concentrating on innovating with data is Los Angeles. So um, Los Angeles has implemented GeoHub, uh, which is an open data platform that citizens can use to explore and visualize data. And Los Angeles has really um, been active in using this data to, to um, create what it calls data stories. So combining various data sets to tell a cohesive story uh, about a particular topic. And here we profile a data story attached to Vision Zero, which is designed to decrease vehicular-related industries, um, or sorry, vehicular-related accidents. But um, there are also data stories built around public health or road work um, that's been completed, say, over a decade. Um, and um, that benefit, the benefit really here of this is to show the public why certain policy decisions are made, as well as uh, generating curiosity and interest around this kind of data that's being collected. And uh, it brings up the whole question about um, why is data so important to a smart city? And um, Richard, I'll, I'll kind of ask you that. Um, what, is, what is the value of data to a smart city? 
<clears throat> well, I mean, the answer would seem quite obvious, um, you know, in this current context, since, you know, data and we're typically seeing the comparisons to, to gold, Julian, that, that many people are, you know, are, are using. But the reality is very simple. Um, you know, data is both a very important piece, but it's also potentially quite quite catastrophic to cities. So that data is not equal. Um, cities have really drunk what I would call a lot of vendor Kool-Aid on the data uh, solutions that they're providing. And I think that they are seeing the repercussions of that with overwhelmingly large data sets that are now being produced. And you know that takes ever more powerful compute systems to analyze and find value. And of course, that adds to cost. Uh, for cities, and that can become quite uh, difficult to to predict the cost maintenance of many of these data-driven solutions, and that's very dangerous for our cities. So data is extremely valuable um, so long as you can find the data that can actually point the city in the direction to help citizens and city officials uh, make faster and better decisions, and we should not be proportionally focused our efforts on total data sets versus the usable uh, data sets and cities need to be working to, uh, to finance and, and work with vendors to finance the, the, the core piece that is of value. Absolutely. It can't just be data for data's sake. Um, so just another quick question here. Um, you know, what other ways have you seen cities investing in uh, ways to capitalize on the data uh, that their city is generating? I think there's some good examples already um, you know, coming up. I really like the approach of cities like Boston. Um, of course, they do have a luxury of having 70 or so universities and a, and a great tech industry, but you know, most of the great cities in, in this country have uh, universities and they have uh, you know, rising tech industries to work with. But they've really made strides with utilizing an open data platform that they created to the max by working on critical projects with these external entities. So. You know, they've had this uh, innovation district. It was it was launched under the former mayor Menino. It's been carried on under the current mayor, uh, Marty Walsh, um, that is uh, really doing a great job in creating partnerships uh, that the city is able to utilize and capitalize on sort of the leading edge technology that is coming out of this innovation district. Um, and it really does a very, a very strong job job extracting the most useful data from all of the open data platform content that they have. It's a, it's a much more of a dedicated um, system that they have to, to focus on the valuable data. So they've worked with citizens as well through apps like Street Bump, um, where they can empower residents as part of what the city calls the Civic Sensor Network. And I love, you know, that term, you know, utilizing citizens as part of their own sensor network. So the best thing about that is that there is uh, there's no cost. So well very minimal cost involved. So that's a pretty unique way from uh, the way the Boston is doing things. Great. So um let's move on to the next slide. Um and I want to talk about the Internet of Things. Uh, you can't talk about smart cities without um, nodding to the IoT. So moving on to the Internet of Things and the use of sensors uh in particular to gather data about a city that 
um, we were previously unable to gather or that was not um, as complete. Uh, and here we have the City of Chicago and the Array of Things project. And uh, the Array of Things project uh, is really a network of these sensor boxes installed throughout key areas of Chicago. You can see uh, on the, the map on the left hand of your screen and the, the sensors in these nodes are tracking things like traffic and pedestrian flow, air quality, noise pollution, uh, and a whole range of other um, metrics, all really in the name of gathering this data that, again, um, will hopefully, uh, if sifted through you know, correctly, will be useful in city policymaking and city planning. Um, so Richard, you know, we talked about the benefit of data. So the question is um, here, what are the benefit of these kinds of IoT projects? Uh, and I think especially um, the question is over the long term. Um, given that many of, pro of the projects like you see here are really still in the early phases of piloting or in development. So um, I guess yep. the question is, uh, what's that long-term vision of IoT for smart cities? Well, it ranges, um, and it ranges quite significantly, uh, but it does depend on whether your IoT vision that you have is connected to a citywide efficiency plan uh, or if it's the chipping away at issues. Uh, is your IoT plan and your smart city plan one of the same thing, uh, or are they you know, disconnected? Of, co of course, it's, it's more complex to attempt citywide integration. So it is understandable uh, that cities run projects and then retro-connect them together. But IoT in the long term should be less about the things, the little pieces um, that are there, and more about those things working together, which is why um, you know, my fear for cities is that they will have challenges doing that if they do not set the right IoT vision to begin with. If you begin with a chipping away process, you will have a retro interoperability issue and you will suffer in your larger smart city uh, program vision. But I understand it. Cities are tempted by v vendors who come in and promise lots of things to, to test their equipment um, in the city. And, and that's a good thing. Um, but they, they do end up with a variety of disparate systems, and, and that, that not, isn't necessarily a good thing. Okay, great. Well, let's um, sort of switch gears here and uh, talk about another area that we look at in our Smart City Scorecard, uh, and that is thinking about the business model or the business cases of smart cities. And by that, we mean uh, the initiatives put in place to stimulate the city's growth and the long-term sustainability, um, particularly around economic activity. So any form of smart city recognition or quantified value add for smart city implementation or pursuits um, would be, I think, exhibitive of a successful business model. And one of the cities that has, I think, been really strong um, in this area is San Francisco, um, whether that's by design or default. I mean, it does have a very strong, um, obviously strong tech community. Um, but San Francisco, I think, is really capitalizing on that. Um, it's developing innovative smart city solutions um, that are producing tangible cost savings for citizens that are being replicated in a number of other cities. Um, and some of those uh, initiatives are outlined here, for instance, um, the STIR program um, or Startup in Residence program, which uh, San Francisco launched, but um, it has since spread to other cities uh, and is all about giving startups the opportunity to help cities solve challenges. 
And unlike, um, let's say, a hackathon, which you see um, quite frequently, with STIR, these are extended opportunities, you know, four months or so working directly with cities. Um, and of course, this sort of program furthers uh, San Francisco's reputation as the national startup hub. Um, another set of initiatives uh, that we can cl uh, classify under this business model um, area are aimed at improving congestion and traffic in San Francisco, aimed at reducing pollution, improving citizen convenience, um, again, in a very quantified value-added way. And then you have this uh, San Francisco uh, business portal, um, which is really an innovative way of providing these, these sorts of startup kits online for very common types of business, small businesses. So again, really trying to stimulate the local economy by supporting and making entrepreneurship easy. Um, so Richard, one of the critical motivations for smart cities, again, is securing that economic resiliency and sustainability. Um, here we're discussing San Francisco, but what other cities are you seeing investing in smart city concepts with the goal of the city's economic uh, prosperity um, in mind? Yes. Well, uh, obviously in the, uh, in the report that, uh, that you've done, Julian, you have classic cases like New York and, and Seattle, but, I, but here I'd like to kind of focus on a different approach, maybe somewhere like a Roanoke, Virginia. What I really like there, I think it's just a little bit more relatable to the majority of the cities that, uh, you know, that we have in the U.S. So tend to be you know, medium-sized and small-sized cities. And what I really like there is, is the intense focus on people and technology where the goal, the overall goal is to make Roanoke one of the easiest places to live, not necessarily best places to live. It's really the easiest place. Uh, and by doing so, that they're really trying to connect the citizens together. So they are one of the strongest social media engagement platforms that you could find nationally. In virtually every single one of the office and government departments are connected to some form of social media platform in whichever form that may be, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, and so on and so on. Um, and in doing so, the citizens there have signed up. They are networking with uh, government, and they have a very clear two-way communication channel, um, extremely accessible to, to work on everything from a citizen need to potholes and snow challenges and and, and what they've found is that citizens find the city a highly livable, easy place to connect with, and they feel like they have a direct channel to government. And that really is a, a quest for large cities, which is achievable, um, but obviously on a much larger scale. Yeah, great. I mean, you bring up a really, really good point about, um, you know, sometimes we tend to focus on these cities like New York or um, Seattle or, or San Francisco, but in reality, it's these smaller cities where the, you know, ultimately the majority of U.S. citizens live and uh, making um, smart city initiatives accessible to those cities is, uh, of course, incredibly important. Um, so, just kind of um, in conclusion here, we spent a lot of time talking about the U.S. and um, smart cities in the U.S., but here we have a map of Canada and of Latin America. So um, just out of curiosity, how are the smart cities taking shape in these areas? Um, and I think in particular, how are smart cities in Latin America, let's say, different from those in the U.S. or Canada? Yeah, I mean, to look at Canada first, I mean, they've been very busy of late. Um, they announced their Smart Cities Challenge, which I believe has a, 
a due date of uh, end of April for entries uh, to, uh, you know, to submit for government funding. They're awarding a grand prize, I believe it's of $50 million. I think the fund total is $75 million. So the additional $25 million are for uh, a targeted focus towards different size cities, which I think is phenomenal. The $50 million, by the way, though, is interesting because that's being awarded to a city of any size. So no matter what you are, whether you are a mid-sized city like uh, we just talked about, Julian, or whether you're a large city, um, you know, you're eligible for that $50 million grand uh, prize impetus. But, you know, I would expect to see, obviously, Montreal, Toronto, Calgary, um, lead most of the bidding. You've got Quebec City there. They're also doing some very in, uh, strong initiative. Toronto, you've seen, obviously, with the Sidewalk Labs, the Goo, uh, part of uh, Alphabet. Uh, so, yeah, strong there. But Latin America is a very, very different challenge. Um, governments in many countries in Latin America obviously have some problems sometimes in, in terms of where funds uh, go, where they have access to, and they don't necessarily get directed to where they traditionally were intended to. So, you know, you've got some implementation problems on, on a wider scale in Latin America because of some of the bureaucracy problems that do exist down there. But if you put that aside, you do have some standouts. Uh, I love that Rio uh, de Janeiro, obviously in Brazil, uh, has a chief digital officer. They've had one now for many years. I know him personally, and, and that's really been a phenomenal effort to help the connectivity issues there um, and the use of technology become much more engaging across all of Rio. And, and really, they have fo focused on a, a total Rio approach versus sort of just small areas and trying to build that out. Um, you have standout cities like Guadalajara in Mexico that really have benefited from a very strong technology climate, companies that are there, and really strong technology leadership. Um, and then you've got places like Panama City where Mayor Figuera has uh, worked on free online access through its Internet for All initiative that's uh, in partnership, I believe, with Cisco. Uh, and that's enabled a lot of the city to collect a lot more data, um, connecting and using its citizens as a platform for growth. So somewhat similar to the things that I was talking about in Boston, um, but uh, not, not quite at the level yet, but it's certainly getting there. But citizens are saved a lot more time because of this. Um, it's much more efficient as a city running. And, uh, you know, the city is seeing some cost-saving benefits. Okay, great. And so just to kind of sum up here um, from our, the report that we, we finished, um, so the three general characteristics that we found to be, you know, very, very important to smart city growth in the Americas, and one is, of course, the importance of cities of having a cohesive strategy and defined um, goals, uh, usually with some level of uh, quantitative metrics in there. And I would say that most cities in the Americas uh, are a bit behind those in, let's say, Europe in terms of actually laying out a very robust strategy with goals and, importantly, uh, in dedicating resources to ensuring that strategy is enacted. However, we are seeing that start to change. Um, cities are starting to become a lot more organized in their smart city development. So hopefully we'll, that trend will continue. Another key takeaway is the importance of smart city networks. Um, we saw that slide earlier in the presentation. So these networks, the importance of them to drive growth 
um, smart city growth and to cross-pollinate best practices. And I think that's one of the, you know, really important aspects of those networks is that they allow for uh, best practices to be shared quite quickly across um, various cities. Uh, and those really are growing in the U.S. And then finally, of course, the importance of data uh, really starting to be embraced by um, some of these mega smart cities in the U.S. Um, and, and elsewhere, um, like you just pointed out. Um, and this trend will continue to grow. Uh, you see cities, again, hiring more chief data officers to help ensure that data is aggregated and integrated, made accessible, but even more importantly, made usable um, by public agencies. So, Richard, would you like to add any um, to this list of differentiators for smart cities in the Americas? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I think the biggest danger that we have here is, is the biggest danger that we have beyond just city approaches. So this is an issue, I think, for most corporations, uh, but cities uh, are, are, are at higher risk for this. Um, when we think about technology reaching a point of maturity, it really has. Um, you know, and there is a proliferation of technology now that exists, and predominantly the approach has been this sort of data officer, digital officer approach. Innovation officers have primarily been, you know, digital officers uh, testing in digital opportunities. We need to focus back on citizens and, human, and, and us as human beings. We still make up the cities. That's the fabric of what we are. And uh, really, that's where we need to, to be uh, focusing our efforts. How can we blend technology with real human needs? And if you can focus on what I would call a digital human first approach, uh, I think you have a true differentiation opportunity ahead of you. Great. And so just one, um, one final question. Um, so what would you like vendors and solution providers um, who are listening to this um, webcast take away today? Well, they've got to continue evolving the way that they work with cities um, and especially focus more of their time on the business model integration side of things. So if you're going to differentiate what you're, going, what you're doing, um, you know, the technology having a 0.1% more efficacy isn't necessarily going to win you the contract. So I would love to see more effort on uh, working on business models. And as I said before, I think technology itself has become very normalized. Um, we uh, need to get beyond uh, sort of the more gimmick approach. And, and I've seen very little core technology of late in the last couple of years that is really highly differentiated. I feel like we still have very much the similar kind of, uh, of, of products and services and solutions being positioned to cities. I haven't seen a whole lot of differentiation. So the focus must be on business models because that's where I believe it can take place and where most value can be, uh, can be added by our vendors and, and solution providers. So we're all doing an excellent job, just would like to see it pushed a little harder. Great. Well, thanks so much. Um, so if anyone would like to get in touch with either Richard or myself, uh, we do have our contact information available um, on the slide that you see in front of you. Um, so please remember uh, that we do have our other smart city recordings uh, that are available on demand uh, right now. Um, so with that, we will go back to Anna. Thank you, Richard. Thank you, Jillian. Yes, this concludes today's webcast. We hope you uh, found it informative. Again, feel free to contact us with any questions or additional feedback. Thank you, and enjoy the rest of your day.